It's time for the partnership between the Star Tribune and WCCO. Today, John Rash and Patricia Lopez. Let's get to the breaking news, the last five minutes. It is official. It appeared we were heading this way, heading this way off last night's results. But Jacob Fry wins re-election. He will serve his second term as mayor of Minneapolis. Let's go to both of you. Pat, let me start with you. Why did Jacob Fry win his election? I I think he presented uh, the voice of some experience. Um, He's a little bit more moderate. Um, And I I think, you know, uh, Sheila Najad and Katie Knuth probably divided a lot of the the vote between them, uh, allowing him to move past the two of them. John, how about you? He was most closely associated with the no vote on the change that would happen to the Minneapolis Police Department to a Department of Public Safety. And the concerns over crime were the overriding theme throughout the campaign. The question number two was rejected. Mayor Fry, who was most associated with it, was reelected. And to top it off, the voters approved the strong mayor amendment, as it's colloquially called, in terms of Mayor Fry will have more of an ability to govern. And now he's going to have to emerge as a strong mayor to try to bring reform to the force. Okay, let's stay with that, John. And then you jump in, Pat, afterwards. Uh, Jacob Fry faced some significant challenges, to say the least, in his first term, from George Floyd's murder, the Derek Chauvin trial, COVID, uh, really criticism directly at him, by the way, on how he handled the riots after the death of George Floyd. John, for him to be a more effective mayor in his second term, particularly early, in his second term, what needs to happen? What needs to change? He has to deliver on the promise of reform. They are not going to do away with the police department. They are not going to move forward with the unformed plan, but that seemed to surround the question number two. But he can't in any way let it rest there, and he has to build back the force and make it more effective and reform it in the process and he certainly has to keep his strong partnership with the police chief and keep him on the job. He'll be greatly aided if a few of these city council races that are in the balance go more his way in terms of candidates who agree with him more. And so all of the elements are in line for him to be more assertive, and he simply has to do that right now and really try to work reforms through, including if he has to go to the state legislature to get some state laws changed to be able to do that now is the time and he now has a mandate to accomplish those objectives how about you pat Uh, well i think you know um john john sums it up neatly um the need is for a strong uh vision by this mayor and voters have opted to give him a brand new set of tools he will have uh actual control over the day-to-day operations of his administration Um, And I think what we would like to see him do is push really hard on police reform and secondarily housing. Um, You know, we now have uh, a rent control. I have a strong voice in that. Okay, let's talk about that one. Rent control now in both cities. Both cities. 
Yep, Pat. Yeah, how, this will be. How big then, is how big is that? And was the significance of it lost? Obviously, in the police vote, which we're going to get to, and also the the two mayoral races. No, I um, I don't think so. I think this is going to be national news. Um, it may take a day or two for everything to filter out, but the fact that the two largest cities in Minnesota, which represent one of the larger uh, metro areas in the country, have opted to go for rent control is a big deal. Now, we've got two experiments going on side by side, as often happens with the Twin Cities. Um, St. Paul has gone for one of the strictest rent control ordinances in the country. Uh, it only allows for a 3% increase, um, you know, by, by landlords. And they, they did allow for some exceptions. But that's going to be the standard. Uh, Minneapolis has yet to be shaped. And what remains to be seen is whether they can accomplish this, which, you know, I have to say brings some needed relief in terms of stability for rents. But it, it also can um, diminish housing stock. It can, uh, you know, reduce incentives for development. So, the you know, the neo-based threat is going to be a difficult one. And everyone will be watching this. John, what do you think about the the challenges Pat just laid out where kind of we know where we're headed with St. Paul and we're still fairly uncertain how Minneapolis is going to lay out the policy? Well, she's quite right that everyone will be watching this around the nation because, of course, in context, Minneapolis and St. Paul have a very challenging housing availability situation, but they are certainly not alone. And this is now the norm as opposed to the exception nationwide. And so there's a tremendous amount of pressure to increase the housing stock and the availability of it. And yet there's going to be commensurate political pressure to put rent control caps on it. And so it's likely that other cities may try to do this. And I think in regards to the experiment that Patricia's talking about of the Twin Cities next to each other, the fact that St. Paul's is more absolutist, it's more quantitative in terms of the 3%. It'll be very, very difficult for the council and the mayor who backed at least the discussion of it in passage of this amendment to not do something. And there will be pressure on to have it match St. Paul. There will still be a considerable anti-rent control campaign put forward by the industry. It'll probably go to a court of law as well. But uh, this is going to be an issue that Mayor Fry is going to have to contend with as well. Okay, let's come back. Let's pause here. We'll come back and we'll talk about the uh, vote to dramatically alter the Minneapolis Police Department coming up short of those who voted 56, 44 percent saying, no, we do not want to start a new Department of Public Safety. What John and Patricia take from that and also the national significance of the Republicans victory in the gubernatorial race in Virginia. Chad Hartman, Pat Lopez, John Rash, Star Tribune editorial board. We're back in moments on CCL. Most discussed uh, ballot measure for the city of Minneapolis when they had 54% of eligible voters vote. That's the highest in 40-some years. The police issue, Charter Amendment 2. And the Minneapolis Police Department, as we know it, develop a Department of Public Safety. The vote included the words police force if necessary it was a part of litigation the language changed many times this was an example the frustrations many people have had for decades about their interactions 
with the police department. Sadly, this came up most prominently after the murder of George Floyd, the defund the police movement. Millions of dollars spent. John, it comes up short. The no voters, 56 to 44 percent prevail. You still had Jacob Fry, uh, the mayor, and now soon to be uh, second term mayor, and police chief Madere Aradano saying we will still make significant adjustments. Why should we believe them? Why should those folks who are frustrated and were the 44 percent or felt that way and didn't vote, why should they feel that these changes will take place? Because Mayor Fry ran on that, and he's feeling the keen pressure to deliver on that. And that's something that it would appear he fundamentally believes. He, of course, like everyone in public life, was deeply distressed by the murder of George Floyd, expressed it openly, and clearly doesn't want another incident or anything remotely like this to happen in the city of Minneapolis. Nor does the police chief, who is as professional as they come in terms of how he appears to the public at minimum, and he doesn't want his force to be defined by this. And the very fact that he and some other officers testified in the Derek Chauvin trial was quite significant in that that's a sharp departure Mm -hmm. from the way that, that these dynamics have normally played out in the court of law. And so I think that they both are strongly motivated to do this, and the public is demanding it as well. You mentioned the defund police in terms of the campaign to vote for yes for this. They were never able to completely figuratively get off that stage that came up the day after George Floyd's murder, where you had nine city council members in front of big block letters that said defund police. And that shorthand in to some degree attached itself to this amendment and also became an extraordinarily toxic political slogan that Republicans use against Democrats across the country and probably still will as we head into the 2022 midterms. How about you, Pat? Well, um, I think those two words, if necessary, um, or a fatal flaw, it might have done better without that. But people just could not get past the idea that the end goal might be uh, a Department of Public Safety with no police or minimum police. And uh, and that's a frightening prospect for a lot of people. You only have to look at a, uh, a precinct map um, of the wards in Minneapolis to see where the no vote was the heaviest. And it was on the north side. Um, th- these are these are people who know that they need uh, policing, but good policing, effective policing that takes their concerns into uh, account And I I think, you know, the mayor and the police chief would be very wise to start convening meetings across the community um, to talk about the reforms that they want to do and to get ideas so that the community feels uh, a part of this plan that is being developed. It shouldn't be done to them without them, as the saying goes. And uh, and I think this is one where the skepticism is justified and they're going to have to earn it. that trust by making a concerted yep, effort for sure. to have a real plan with real details. It starts with the renegotiation of that union contract um, and changing some state laws that have protected uh, police through an elaborate arbitration uh, system. 60 seconds to each one of you. Pat, you first. Glenn Youngkin, 
who was really an unknown eight, nine months ago, wins in Virginia, yep. beats uh, Terry McAuliffe, who basically ran as an, in the, uh, as an incumbent. He had been governor before. Mm-hmm. This is a state Joe Biden won by 10 points last election. Youngkin uh, kept Trump at arm's length, uh, didn't run from him, but didn't embrace him. What it, what mm-hmm. stands up most about the race, and what does it mean for the rest of the country, including looking ahead to 2022? Youngkin played it very, very smart. Um, his strategy worked that, you know, that sort of, you know, keeping him at a distance, but not, uh, uh, not embracing him, but, you know, taking advantage of Trump's um, base. Uh, and, you know, McAuliffe also kind of shot himself in the foot. Um, his yes, messaging did. didn't work. He sounded increasingly um, frantic in the last days of the campaign. He sounded like somebody who knew he was losing. So that's probably what his internal polls were already telling him. Um, you know, saying that parents didn't belong in the classroom it was like one of the worst campaign mistakes ever. Um, gave Youngkin exactly the opportunity he needed to rally forces uh, among parents who are already dissatisfied with what had been happening in schools, the closures, the mandates. Um, and, and you know, it all came together to uh, show a path for Republicans um, that, you know, that might, if they can follow this and, you know, keep Trump a, at a little bit of arm's length, um, this might work for them. Democrats have to work incredibly hard on getting their act together um, getting their messaging, they actually have a strong agenda uh, to run on, but they can't. They can't just define everything in terms of we're not Trump. I got to jump in, John. You got about thirty seconds here. Give me your thoughts. Glenn Youngkin was able to identify an issue that had traditionally given advantage to Democrats, and that was education. And he stuck on that theme extraordinarily effectively, and was able to cut into traditional democratic advantages in the suburbs watch for the same strategy to repeat itself in 2022 including in the minnesota gubernatorial race where the uh, deciding factor probably will be the suburban and exurban vote great stuff to both of you thank you so much uh, john rash and patricia lopez from the star tribune linda's construction time check is 157 Time to request a free estimate on energy-saving infinity from Marvin Windows. Jacob Fry wins. Adam with details coming up.